0: That Naturopathic Podcast, <laughs> TNP.
1: Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara And I'm
0: Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you.
1: This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health.
0: This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well.
1: This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan.
0: This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together.
1: This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it our patients know it
0: and we want you to know it
1: naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about all right we're back with another episode of that naturopathic podcast I'm dr. Kara,
0: and I'm dr. Dave
1: and uh, today we have uh, dr. Elizabeth Sharavati with us or dr. Liz I'm not sure which one do you prefer Liz oh dr. Liz or just Liz is fine Liz awesome so um, I I'm always excited. We have awesome ND guests, but this one is no exception. Uh, Dr. Liz is a naturopathic doctor in Guelph. Uh, she's the director of Two Rivers Health uh, down in Guelph, and uh, today we're today we're, we're talking about fertility. And uh, Dr. Liz has a wealth of information and a really big focus on fertility, and so. I'm super excited, Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested in your perspective and uh, your knowledge on this topic, so welcome. Thank you, I'm so
2: excited to chat with you both
1: today.
0: So Liz, you've been doing a lot of work in fertility for quite some time, I've seen you producing a lot of info for a a long period of time now, do you want to maybe give us a little bit of insight as to like how you became a real expert in this area? Oh,
2: sure. Well, I, I would say that my interest in fertility started really with an interest in children's health and pediatrics. So, in when I was um, completing my rotations in naturopathic medical school, I did have a focus shift in pediatrics. And it made me question. Um, at that time, there was some literature coming through about the influences of pregnancy and birth experiences and health on outcomes of children's health so it just made me question where did this sort of symptom picture or chronic condition that a child is suffering with really start Mm -hmm. and I started to work backwards and I became a doula and I started being very interested in pregnancy health and then I realized that actually um, there's a lot of evidence showing that the, um, the influence of preconception care does have a significant impact in the child's future health. Mm-hmm. And of course, everything that we do naturopathically to enhance preconception health also enhances fertility because ultimately fertility is about health and mm-hmm. it's about a thriving state of health. And it's, it's about not, not just hanging out in the survival or like not disease state of health, but in thriving, because the body is just very intelligent and we want to honor that the body will be able to conceive barring clearly anatomical or, you know, tubes removed or things like that or tubes blocked, for example. Um, but barring those anatomical obstacles, um, the body, a, he- a healthy body or a healthy couple will conceive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I really believe that, and it, that has um, shown up in all kinds of literature, especially in the past several years. I don't know that we talked about epigenetics in that word when we were in school because it was very new and emerging. I don't, I don't recall, but um, I, I certainly have seen dozens and dozens of papers, even just in the past few years, focusing on pre conception epigenetics and certainly during pregnancy and so on that affects future future children's generations. And we know from animal studies, it can be multiple generations of experiences or exposures that happen before conception, around the time of conception or during pregnancy that can imprint on future generations for better or worse. So we wanna make all the better ones happen.
0: How would you give like a really sort of basic uh, explanation of epigenetics to people who may not know what that is?
2: Well, epigenetics is just the the study of everything on top of genes. So how um, influences from our environment, which could be um, everything from our food to environmental pollution to our thoughts and our emotional experiences or trauma, how does that um, lay itself over our genetic code our DNA and change the way our genes are expressed? So one of the simplest, One of the the examples that I use in in my book is is just about think about when you had a friend and they went on vacation or they ended a really stressful relationship or they got a new job and they're just thriving now. You can can look at them and and you're like, wow, did you cut your hair? Did you lose weight? You you look 10 years younger, but they're the same person, right? (laughs) They're the same person. They have exactly the same genetics but they've changed their environment and the things that are talking to their genes and they're just healthier. So this is the, um, this is that sense of um, the potential for being renewing renewal in renewal and getting healthier as we age, even getting more fertile than we were last year. This is possible with naturopathic approaches that support um, those perhaps medical interventions.
1: It's really interesting that, you you actually came to your expertise of looking at preconception health and uh, the factors that go into healthy pregnancy and making healthy babies you you actually arrived at that by looking looking at this which is what we are trained to do um but you you started in pediatrics and you're like okay well what could be some of the root causes here and you've taken a step upstream and said how can we Get this earlier, and so uh, it's just it's just interesting to see how you arrived at at uh, where your practice is landed today. So I would love to get in the feet of your patients, and really, um, I would love you to walk us through their journey because uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Um, you know if they're listening to this episode perhaps they're struggling with fertility. So could you introduce us to some of your more common patients or stories that you hear as they come in and let's let's walk our listeners through the journey of 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 um, how you work with them.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I we kind of have a patients that start with us in maybe one of two main different places. One is they feel like they've tried everything. They've been trying to conceive for at least a year, sometimes many years. Some of them have had multiple failed IVF rounds or in vitro fertilization rounds. That's the top tier, kind of gold standard medical approach to infertility. Um, or they, they, and they may have been told that IVF is their only way to have a baby, and it may anatomically be that. Mm-hmm. For so for men who. Um, Produce very little sperm or no sperm, um, or for women who have blocked tubes or have tubes removed, then IVF is certainly the way that they um, one of the main routes that they will be able to have a child of their own, and um, and then they they want to support um, all of the systems of the body that contribute to successful fertility, and they've probably heard from either their reproductive endocrinologists, their fertility specialists that. Maybe you should go see a naturopath because we want you to um, work on um, this autoimmunity or we want you to be more relaxed. Those are two main referrals that we receive from fertility clinics. Most people do self-refer, though, and they have a feeling that being healthier will inherently aid their fertility journey. And um, then there's another kind of camp of women who um, they they're not interested in IVF, or at least not yet. And they want to conceive naturally, and they want to do everything that they can to enhance the speed at which that happens. And of course, the success of their pregnancy. So a lot of our patients have, they, they might know that they have polycystic ovary syndrome, like PCOS, or endometriosis, or irregular periods, or they may have had miscarriage before. So they know there's these certain female fertility obstacles. A lot of our clients don't. Um, a lot of our clients' partners haven't yet had an assessment when we first start working with them. But we always encourage both uh, members of a couple, um, if if we're if that if that male partner is going to be the, the biological parent, to to receive care as well and receive a proper assessment.
0: Okay, assessment. I, I just wrote down on my paper here. Assessment. Um, so. Um, it's fitting that you ended with that word. I wanted to ask you uh, about your assessment, because what Kara and I have probably found is that uh, as we got better at what we do, a proper assess. I mean, it seems so logical and maybe people get it earlier than I did, but uh, it seems like a proper assessment leads to a better treatment. So can you maybe uh, tell us a little bit about how you go through your assessment with your uh, patients?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think um, this is paramount. Um, So when we look at uh, a person's situation regarding their fertility, we um, we always look for what we consider to be a comprehensive fertility and health assessment. So in a decade of practice, I have never I've never once worked with a woman or a couple who have come in with a complete assessment in hand i.e. their past blood work or current diagnoses or even understanding exactly why is it that you need IVF in the first place uh, because most people don't need IVF and yet there are a lot of people that are kind of being moved into that realm because they're frustrated and they're, um, they, they want to have a baby of course and they, um, that's been the thing that's been told well this is what you do. And um, there's so much missing that calls that completes what I call the nest around your fertility. So successful fertility is about so much more than the moment that the sperm meets the egg or the moment that the embryos in, implanted or transferred. So that, so the assessment means we have to fill in all those missing pieces of this puzzle to understand what are all the areas or branches um, of your health that will contribute to all of the functions of the body that are needed to create a healthy baby. And so we find that most people haven't had even a complete blood work um, panel done. Um, There are several nutrients that are correlated with infertility that have not been tested for. Um, There are avenues such as autoimmunity that haven't been screened for that can contribute to miscarriage risk um, or lack of uh, implantation at all um, within the pregnancy environment or the womb. And uh, and so we we will go through what the patient has received in terms of their lab work from other clinicians and then we'll show them, Okay, based on your history, your symptoms, we take a really detailed understanding of the person's current situation and their menstrual cycles and their exposures and their health history, physical, mental, and emotional, and also hereditary, like what's going on in your immediate relatives to understand, okay, what makes sense in terms of adding some additional assessment to really complete this picture. And what that does is it uh, it helps us um, know with confidence, what we are treating and what we are not treating. Mm-hmm. because there are many many sort of contributing factors to naturopathic medicine that can support fertility but only for those conditions for which it's specific so we're not just going to throw all the things that are good for fertility at a person we want to know that what we're treating uh, what we're offering and and, and suggesting is the, is the path that will give them the result that they want actual transformation of their results
0: so if someone's uh, coming to you for help with fertility, uh, what are the maybe the few uh, most important things you'd like them to bring with them in terms of um, you being able to do an assessment in the you know most efficient way? Like I, I'd mm-hmm. assume labs, uh, you'll have their health history uh, and other diagnosis. Is there, is there anything else you'd add to sort of like a checklist that you'd love them to come in with so that you can make a best assessment and therefore a best treatment?
2: Yes. Uh, That's a great question. So yes, to all the labs and prior assessments from other clinicians that you mentioned, Um, and the health history, we capture a lot of that through our intake process. And and then I want to know what medications and or supplements they have been taking and what were the results of those. And I also really want them to come in, um, or I always ask them, what does success look like for you? Because most of our patients today, it wasn't necessarily like this 10 years ago, but today, people are looking for more than just all I want to do is get pregnant. At least my patients are. They know that there's a much more holistic. um, They know that their goals are much more holistic in nature. They know that we don't control. They don't control. Neither do their fertility specialists control whether there's a baby at the end of this journey. That is one thing that we desire the most in life that we can't control. So I really want them to know, I really want to know from her or him, what is it that success looks like in this journey? And sometimes they'll say things like, I just want to be as healthy as possible. Um, I want to know that I'm doing everything that I can to make this possible. Um, sometimes they want to say, I want to do this, but not freak out about it. (laughs) I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel joyful. And I want my life to feel complete regardless of, of the outcome. And I, and then they, sometimes they have a timeline and they'll say, well, I'm turning whatever age next, that is the, that is the end of the tunnel for them. That's totally their prerogative, right? That's not something that we dictate or say, but if that's their choice, then okay, let's do everything we can up until that point. And then if that's the age or milestone, or timing, that makes sense to you to say, okay, we're okay that this door's closed, and we're going to grieve, but we're also going to be okay. So I just want to know how, you know, what what is the easiest way for me to support them in the in being the leader in their own journey?
1: Which is so important, because Uh, I think fertility is a place in particular where there are so much stakes placed on the outcome that I think it's really important, um, that a practitioner says, you know, what, why, what is the meaning of this for you? Right. And not placing all the eggs in that basket, literally, Yes. Um, and um I I can see that you probably have really meaningful conversations around the whole journey um with with your with your very lucky patients.
2: No, thank you. Yes. Uh it's it really is a whole person. It's just a it just fertility touches on every part of who we are and what and, and how we live our lives. So it does have to be that holistic conversation.
1: For sure. Um, you mentioned menstrual cycles within your assessment, and, uh, this is something I've noticed w- working with my fertility patients. I would just love to see, uh, you know, your perspective. I-, I feel like, um, you know, as naturopaths, I do feel like we really understand the menstrual cycle perhaps as well as anybody. Um, but sometimes I feel like infertility, it's just kind of bulldozed over because there are some pretty strong techniques in which to do that. So, um, when you were talking about, you know, menstrual cycle issues, which are going to affect fertility, you know, there's a lot of fertility treatments that it's like, well, it will just induce a period or we'll just induce ovulation. So I just love to hear your part of your assessment and, and how you speak to women about their menstrual cycles.
2: Oh, that's very interesting. So, um, most of the women that I work with, they don't like the idea or the experience of their cycle being suppressed or biochemically altered pharmaceutically. So they do, pri- they do value the idea that their physician is actually observing and listening through ultrasound, through blood work. When are they about to ovulate? and they'll time medications to enhance ovulation or perhaps um, in the case of IVF to enhance the number of eggs retrieved at that time. Um, So I think that feels a lot more compatible with the physiology. We can do a little bit of treatment, especially with acupuncture, around sort of side effects of those high levels of medication if a woman isn't responding well, Um, but ultimately that's that's a very medical decision and they are typically being watched very, very closely for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is very serious if it happens and can also result in the calling off of an entire cycle. So we're doing everything that we can in preparation of an IVF cycle to make that cycle count. So to, en- to enable her body to receive that treatment that- in the best way and a healthier person responds to any pharmaceutical better. We just know that like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just a a known thing in medicine. So she will do well. And I've had many patients who've gone through multiple IVF rounds. They suffered, they struggled, they they had terrible night sweats and mood imbalances. And they, they just didn't feel like themselves at all. And they dread that part. But then we do some work together and they might be on a very similar or same protocol the next IVF attempt and they go in, they feel their best that they've ever felt going in. And that for me is one of the things that I measure our success working together. Does that person say to me spontaneously that she feels so good going into this round and and that gives her confidence, but it also enables that's correlated with a healthier physiology that could be more receptive and less prone to side effects So I think a lot of the, uh, fertility clinics, it seems are going in that direction of doing like a little more minimalist uh, kind of approach. And, um, and they need to, because the, the effects of overstimulation are very serious. Um, and again, can cause them to lose their cycle altogether, their, their, their IVF cycle and have to start again. So, um, so that's that that i think is is one, is the medical side and then on the naturopathic or integrative view of it when a woman has a healthier cycle like a more textbook normal cycle we'll, we'll call it where her cycle's move closer to 28 days like even by 1 day if she's normally had 24 25 she's got 26 if she's got 31 32 she's got 30 I, I like to see that. I think that's a great objective measure that we're moving in the right direction. We're going on an upward spiral in terms of our health. It's like the fifth vital sign as, um, as it's now as it's now known, which is really accurate. And um, so, when a woman is connected to the intelligence expressed through her cycle, it's really phenomenal because she feels confident. She can then learn how to time intercourse properly because so many missed conceptions are, are to do with missed timing because a woman isn't trained from a young age anymore, as we culturally were generations ago, to understand when she's fertile based on not the average number of days of her cycle divided by two which is right. what apps do but to understand her physiologic experience and her own signs of fertility which is the first thing that we train women to do in our program and there's a there's a lifelong um, a lifelong benefit to that for a woman when she understands how miraculous and how phenomenal her body is and how the cycle of her uh, men- menstruation and ovulation and how she feels through the cycle can be uh, also like a heartbeat on so many other parts of her life, not just the fertility part. So whether a woman is trying to conceive or trying to not conceive or wants to preserve her fil- fertility for future use, <laughs> if I could call it that, yeah. um, and, and wants to, to have that, um, you know, it's like, it's like the best Fitbit data ever is, is tracking your cycles and understanding um, understanding what's happening through them.
1: Amen to that. <laughs> I, um, I think that was a great answer because that, that took us through different perspective from, you know, the fertility clinic and then from your perspective as well. And I'd just like to hit on something that it's, it's a theme, I think, Dave, that has run through a lot of our guests in that you said, you know, when you change the foundations, whether it be diet or just, you know, vitality and overall health, it changes the experience of anything else that might be necessary. So we talked to Dr. Katrina Cox and how um, just healthy foundations will make chemotherapy approved And so um, I just I don't I never want to let that by because that is a theme that all our guests have talked about.
0: Yeah, it's a key concept. I think it's so important. Like you like like Liz is talking a lot about the environment basically, and that's that's what organisms react to is the, their environment, and that's why. I think she went back and back from from uh, childhood to conception to preconception, right? So the, the environment sort of sets, sets the tone in such a, a big way for things in nature. Um, and so that's what everyone's talking about is like the environmental sort of soup that we live in and the mental emotional side, of course, which are interrelated. And we won't go there because that's... <laughs> That's beyond. That's beyond where I'm at right now. But like, they are so important. So yeah, I think Liz is just talking about how important the the environment is for for future success, whatever success is.
1: Maybe we should go there next, Liz, because I know you have a book coming out called the IVF Meal Plan, and uh, as Dave calls it, the biochemical soup. Uh, let's talk about how to make the best soup to make. Uh, <laughs> A healthy woman and a healthy baby Um, where should we start with that
2: oh that's that's awesome I'd love to share about about that Um, I do agree with you in that um, we really need to recognize and honor what is happening with our with our soup that our cells are swimming in and um, and take control of the parts of that of of those ingredients that we can take control of and one of them is our food and we we, we have to eat. So we might as well eat in a way that the best evidence available suggests is going to lead us toward our goal. And if your goal is around IVF success, this is the evidence that I've pulled and put through in the book and, and in a way that's easily applicable. So we've taken um, ultimately in the, in the back of the book, we have a 28-day um, suggested meal plan and a whole bunch of recipes that we've Taken twists on kind of tr- traditional favorite meals and like easy prep, um, like thirty minutes or less prep, but that infuses that habit that we all need to do every day, a couple times a day at least, at least, um, to to make that um, to the best of our current knowledge shift us toward healthier fertility and greater IVF success. So we know from recent uh, literature that. When a couple is eating um, the right diet, then they have uh, the ability to increase their chances of an IVF pregnancy by up to 40%. Wow. Four zero. Four
0: Four zero percent. That's wild.
2: That is huge, right? So it's up to 40%. And the reason for why it's up to is just a statistical one. And I want to clarify that the, um, that, a health, that the fertility diet, the fertility diet, big T, big T-H-E, is not the same as a healthy diet. So what many people can take in as a healthy diet that would otherwise be just fine for them, and, and perhaps even literature would support that it's a healthy diet for certain outcomes, like heart disease, for example, um, it's not necessarily the the fertility diet and what the fertility diet seems to be based on is around the Mediterranean diet. So that is the diet plan where both partners were consuming a Mediterranean style diet or had greater greatest adherence to that pattern of eating did increase their IVF that um, did, did increase their IVF success. And that is massively important because the Mediterranean diet is not only easy and delicious, it's, it's cost effective. It, it's basically the same cost as any other healthy diet would be. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's skewed toward um, more poultry and fish or seafood in place of red meat. Um, olive oil instead of vegetable oils um, and whole fat dairy in small amounts instead of light Um light or skim uh, milk products. And um, for fertility reasons, we're gonna skip the red wine, but mm. <laughs> it's generally very high in fruits and vegetables and all of the antioxidants that do come with that. So the, the Mediterranean diet could be seen as a protein adequate, fat adequate, anti-inflammatory diet. And that is the one that that my book will, will, is focused on. And that's certainly what we see playing out in in the literature for which, you know, there, there haven't been an astounding number of randomized control trials in nutrition for fertility, but a lot of them are observational trials. So when people are going into their IVF, especially that's where we study it the most less so than for natural conception with nutrition because there's so much riding on IVF so scientists and researchers really want to know what made that work right right so there if we're going to study nutrition and fertility it's largely focused around IVF so that's um that's what we know for for an overall pattern and i think that will come to as a relief to a lot of people because mediterranean diet is not hard to do it does not involve restriction it does not involve deprivation it's delicious and that might be how you're choosing to eat anyway
0: yeah liz that that data that you're talking about for Med- mediterranean uh, diet is that for the mediterranean diet in the mediterranean versus the mediterranean diet in like north america because I would think that the lifestyle is just a little bit different too. So, is there? Do you have any comment mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, there
2: are a couple of papers, and some of them don't reference um, a Mediterranean location, and some of them are focused on um, in the in the Mediterranean, specifically in um, one of them is in Italy for Italian people living in Italy if they followed a Mediterranean diet versus if they didn't. So other healthy diet is what it's compared to. An other healthy diet is um, a more, I would say, standard Western or non-European diet, which is more reds and pastas and carbohydrates versus um, legumes in the Mediterranean. <clears throat> um, less, uh, less vegetables, perhaps equal, equal amounts of fruit or less fruit. Um, and certainly in North America, we eat way too much omega-6 fats, which are vegetable oils like peanut oil, soya oil, canola oil. And those don't seem to have a benefit with fertility as extra virgin olive oil does, um, as well as omega-3s, which are from fish and seafood.
1: <clears throat> so, Liz, so Liz, when we're looking at um, is, is the Mediterranean diet, I'm just wondering how that improves the soup. Is it the anti-inflammatory, antioxidant? Is it changing insulin? Um, I know the ovaries are very sensitive to all of uh, those factors. Um, What is it about the diet that changes um, the structure and function um, when we're looking at fertility? That's such a
2: great question. Um, And I don't know if I can give an intelligent, an answer about what exactly is happening on that cellular level, except that we know that um, we know that inflammation is in, important with infertility and fertility and overcoming infertility. And we know that the Mediterranean diet is less inflammatory, one, because there is less red meat. And most red meat is um, grain-fed or corn-fed cattle-based. And that, is, that creates inflammatory products in their meat. Because that's not their that's not their natural diet. Their the cow's natural diet is grass, so grass-fed beef is probably less inflammatory than conventionally raised modern beef because um, it contains DHA, an essential omega-3 fat, which is inherently anti-inflammatory. So it's yeah. There's an interaction between. Um, between the, 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 mo- the molecular soup that's in the food and how that speaks to our genes. It's, it's, food is like a communication signal to our genes. So we wanna optimize that genetic expression. Um, the Mediterranean diet is higher in iron. Diets higher in iron are correlated with better fertility success, natural fertility too. Um, so the the um, follicle around the egg, its, it's little nourishing home. Um, that is invested in significantly with energy and nutrients in the three months before ovulation occurs or in the case of IVF before retrieval happens, the the follicle actually upregulates. It turns on its ability to take in iron, which is amazing. It's so intelligent. It's very active. And we're just scratching the surface currently of what we know about egg health and follicle development and what all goes into that we know that the egg needs an awful lot of energy and it relies on uh, molecules that are antioxidants so that's why many of uh, your audience will know of coenzyme q10 they may not realize that we need um, carnitine as a nutrient to benefit fully from what we want q 10 to be doing and um, so we can get some of that from nutrition, some of that probably is, from, is going to be from supplements for most fertility-focused patients. We also know that there's a significant influence of our genomics on egg quality, specifically on egg development, for follicle health before, uh, before uh, ovulation, and then certainly with the genetic changes that are happening in early embryo development post-fertilization. There's a lot of cell division in that, in that time. And right before ovulation, actually, so when we're born, our eggs are with us as females. They're already in the ovaries at birth. And they're like arrested in this state of, of development. They're almost fully mature, but they just hold for like a lifetime. Isn't that the coolest?
0: I just want to stop and say how cool that fact yeah. is. Like when you're... When you're when you were born, Liz, you were born, or sorry, when your mom was born, she had the egg that was going to become I you, know. and at some point it's, that was in her. It's mom. amazing. I just find that so, so fascinating. And that's yeah. it. Sorry, exactly. I, I it's just super wanted to cool. Put it into that picture because yes. it it sort of hel- helps like hit home. Like, oh my goodness, there's the link, the maternal link. Yes. There is so cool. <laughs> it's
2: it's amazing, and um, that's why our one of our elders in the profession, Dixon Tom. Says and, and when he said this to me, I was at a conference, and um, he always said it to the whole, the whole class, and it really hit home for me, and it, did, it was very impactful in my journey in as a clinician. And he said, "What your grandmother did in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas." Meaning, yes, as you know, as a member of this generation, your your generation you were exposed through the maternal lineage of everything your grandmother was exposed to when she was pregnant with your mother. Uh-huh. And that is big. That's, That's big stuff. It's, it's a little heavy if you think about it in that way, but um, it just means that it, it just means that, but they didn't know that, but we know that today. So we can't ignore what we know from science about our responsibility to, to not only nourish our bodies, but those, the, the genetic potential of the next generation is already within us as women. And men often don't realize that their contribution is, is like a three-month process as well. So it does take about three months to produce new sperm, and during that time, those sperm cells are exquisitely sensitive to the male biochemical soup. That's his body's chemistry and nutrition and stress and environmental contamination and pollution. And so we're living in a world today that's different than our grandparents were. Um, so they, they, you know, a lot of them smoked. My grandma definitely did. Um, a lot of them drank, a lot of them drank alcohol during pregnancy. A lot of them were given new drugs during pregnancy that were never properly tested on, on humans, (laughs) Um, or even on animals. Um, in terms of the consequences for future generations. And so we we have a lot today and we have a huge responsibility to invest in our health so that the next generation has the greatest possible potential to live healthier um, than they than they otherwise would if we just kind of let our world continue as it is, which is a, a world that pr- puts pressure on fertility success. The, the infertility situation globally has been called a a growing emergency. It is is so not normal for any species that one out of every six couples or coupling um, organisms would have challenges to reproduce. It's so not normal. And that equates to about 50 million people out there right now who want to have a baby and are struggling to have one that is Mm -hmm. very serious and it's
0: and then it's stressful it's stressful for them and then stress is one of the main factors Mm -hmm. so like can you talk about that loop between it being stressful Mm -hmm. and then stress being one of the you know perpetuating things you have to deal with?
2: yeah it is um well we could take many angles on there i think that um, we know from literature that that in, the stress of having infertility is is equivalent to the stress of having chronic pain or a diagnosis of cancer, and yet there's so little uh, community around fertility um, because it's a very stigmatized issue, unfortunately, and uh, it's today in, in many cultures, including our own, still very very isolating, and the isolation is also another risk factor for stress. And we know that a lack of community and a lack of connection around what we're struggling with is a, is going to accentuate the level of stress hormones in our body. And when we have more stress, we have less fertility because those molecules that are being used to produce stress hormones are stealing from the, the bank account that could otherwise be used to support fertility friendly hormone balance. The is designed for survival first. So if we're under stress, the body is so intelligent that it's gonna say, hmm, looks like you shouldn't have a baby right now because this doesn't look like a safe environment for you when you can't run as fast, <laughs> maybe, or you're throwing up and you, you can't nourish yourself or you're nursing a little one because this looks like a dangerous world. So we're gonna just hang out here, um, and maybe not ovulate, or maybe not ovulate at the time that you could conceive and the womb the is actually ready for implantation. Or um, we just won't have enough progesterone because we're busy making cortisol and um, using the same building blocks for that. So the body is, in a way, protective. So we have to find all the ways that the body is experiencing stress. And through, um, you know, through, through our work together, what I tell my clients is, we have to create this, this experience of unquestioning safety in the body. Like, yes, it's a, it, because fertility is almost like a bonus function, at least for the human species. It's more, we're more vulnerable when we're pregnant as, when, as females. Mm-hmm. And um, in our ancestors aren't expecting us to have um, our male partners by our side during that entire process. Our our genes are expecting our female friends and family to be by our side through that process. But it's it's a different world, but the same same genetics. But we have tens of thousands of new chemicals signaling alone that are man-made, that are interacting with our genes and our hormones and our inflammatory process alone that is certainly compromising our success today. So I think that there's all kinds of different stressors. And what we want to do is like take each one of those as a pillar of fertility and like dial it down or so supply the resources that are missing from that pillar, um, like adding a nutrient. So if a woman is deficient in vitamin D, for example, she's at greater risk of IVF failure. If we replete her vitamin D, she has a greater success of IVF, greater um, chance of IVF success. Or we or we're busy removing obstacles. So if you're exposed to toxic chemicals in your home, in your makeup, in your occupation, in your hobbies, those are really significant actions that you can take to reduce the chemical stress in the body too. Um, and then there are a host of wonderful um, services available for mental and emotional care with Um, all of the things that happen with a a woman or even men too struggle with this. When you're looking to become a parent and you're stopped with that, you're you're, you're stalled or you're frustrated or you can't conceive or you've been told you have all these different um, obstacles, that can be extremely demoralizing for people. It feels so deeply personal and it relates to our value and our self-worth and our just, yeah, our presence in our family and It brings up everything from our family of origin and all the expectations we had on our lives, and it really stirs the pot. So I definitely encourage people who are dealing with the fertility journey to make sure they have a team of professionals who can be there for them and and perhaps even to find a positive community of others who can see them and love them through that and who get it um, and so that they eliminate the stress of the isolation.
1: Liz, I want to just—you've—you've um, you've talked about a, a lot of really key factors, um, and maybe piqued the interest of some of our listeners of, you know, different areas in which they maybe even intuitively know might be a block for them. Um, and so I want to get into some of those. But I just want to talk to you first a little bit about timing because. Um, You've talked about that, you know, three month or 100 day window, you know, that we're creating egg or we're creating healthy sperm. And I know a lot of couples who go into their doctors for fertility are told, well, let's give it a year and then we'll move on to the next steps. What would you like to see, you know, of the clients you're seeing or even for someone who's just thinking about, um you know, becoming a mom at some point in the future, um, I'm probably loading the question because I know a lot of this stuff that you've just said, you've, you've given some great, um, things to even get started with. What would you like to see women do? And what's the timing on that of just things that they can just be proactive with? Oh yeah, that's amazing.
2: Um, I do appreciate the question. I'm so okay that it's loaded up with all kinds of good stuff, but, um, In an ideal world, I would love to start working with a woman or a couple one year before their intended timing of conception. The reason for that is as much as we've talked about um, the three-month window of the the final and most dramatic follicular changes, like the the egg maturation process, is the most dramatic in that time frame right before ovulation, but actually it's like a year it, it, it's, it's actually a year between when a follicle is actually moving from its very primordial state, which is what we were born with, to, um, to, the, to the one egg that will be ovulated while the rest of its little classmates will not make it. So, or maybe two will be ovulated, um, but, but the rest won't. And so that, that can be a year process. That gives us plenty of time that it can be fairly stress-free. Like I just want to give permission that it's possible that the process of fertility or getting pregnant could be stress-free or could even be enjoyable. And that would really be cool to see that restored and put back into the hands of couples. Um, And it gives us a chance to do that proactive level of assessment in order to address any of the issues that are identified in advance of a conception. Because when, let's say you're, let's say it's something sort of simple like iron deficiency and vitamin D deficiency. When do you become pregnant? Um, you, most women have a certain amount of nausea and they don't feel like they can take in prenatal supplements, let alone food. Um, the way that they have been before or they're only craving like one food at a time or whatever and to a certain extent that's probably protective and you know we trust that the embryo and the developing fetus will take from the mom. We don't want to just like rip all the nutrition out of what you've got left to give and meanwhile iron deficiency is going to set us up for um, risk factors during the pregnancy Um, and to the fetal development and like vitamin D, for example, um, that could, that could relate to the baby's skeletal health or yours, or even their immune system being programmed. So there's just no reason not to, um, not to go into your path to pregnancy and parenthood being not proactive. So the medical approach is as it is because they are there for disease screening and infertility and the next steps of referrals aren't done until a couple is diagnosed with infertility. But we want to promote fertility proactively. So there's two, there's like, you know, coming coming back to baseline kind of work with, with medical side and ruling out that there's a disease. And I don't know why a couple would wait, like, why why that's very arbitrary why should you have to wait to understand if you're fertile so that's that's just not um that's not ever been part of of my consciousness like if a woman and or a couple wants to get pregnant and they know they want that in their future why wouldn't they know now what their situation is it gives you plenty of time to work on it if there's anything identified and plenty of peace of mind to have fun during the process if nothing at all is identified
1: I think that's a really, I'd like to pause at that, um, at that thought, um, you said this actually can be enjoyable and, you know, when you are starting that year out and you're focusing on just building, uh, health and coming together for, you know, an end goal at some point, but enjoying the process, I don't think that is often, you know, I think maybe women who Are struggling with fertility later on that that enjoyment is not there anymore, perhaps.
0: It's not a uh, word you hear very much, no. I don't think. With this, I it's sort of yeah, it's good to hear. I know, and
1: it's um, I think I, I even just sharing a bit of my own story when I graduated from naturopathic college, um, we, we my husband and I were trying to have a baby. Fairly quickly, perhaps too quickly in hindsight. After ten years of university <laughs> education, uh, depleted health, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was hard. It was hard for me because I'm like I'm supposed to be healthy. I'm supposed to know how to create health and how to create a baby. And um, those couple years were really hard. But what my husband and I are very good at is creating really good. Um, Uh, just mindset over what we're trying to accomplish in our life. And so we said, you know what, if this isn't happening now, we're just going to continue working to be as healthy as we can be and to enjoy sex. Like, Hey, look what we get to do. And in fact, I think that is why we continue to have a really positive sex life, even with young little kids um, is because we consciously created those years and took the best out of it. I can see for some women that's not possible at certain points, but I just, I, your, your word enjoyable really, uh, resonated with me. And I think it's maybe, uh, it's just a a nice, uh, mindset or part of the conversation that is sometimes missed. Oh,
2: thank you. Yeah. I think that it's, it's some, it's a matter of permission, like you and your husband gave to, to each other and to yourselves. In in our culture, we learn from a very young age that anything that's important to us that we want is hard work. It's, it's going to be a struggle. And we got to, most of us got to our big life goals with a certain amount of struggle. Like stress equals success. That's what we learn. Like, the more that I stress, the more that I strive, the more that I struggle, the sweeter this success is going to be and the more guaranteed it is. But, so like your degrees, you're getting your first house, you're getting your first promotion or even multiple promotions. Um, working through issues in a relationship can even be hard won and feel very satisfying on the other side of that, but that's only one model for success. And... Ultimately, getting pregnant isn't something that can be achieved. It's something that's received. The moment of conception and pregnancy is ultimately complete. It's like the definition of passive. There's nothing you can do to try harder to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very difficult and very polarizing and awkward for many high-achieving women to to embody because we only know one way, and it's this this, this struggle and this striving and this um, contracting, almost um, pressure filled way of getting to a goal. And mm. there is the feminine complement to that, and um, ultimately all areas of our society need that feminine complement because we're all working toward burnout unless we do get into that restoration and that receptivity mode at least sometimes in our day or our weeks and fertility especially we need the feminine to be restored and that's where you know for example for those of us who have been through multiple years of grueling (laughs) amounts of school um and all of that meant and like probably sacrificing some of our own nutrition because we were students and we didn't you know invest necessarily in the best food or supplements um, and all of the things that you're taking care of in your life too, um, there needs to be a time of restoration. and And that's okay. And we also are convinced subconsciously that that there's this ticking this, this ticking clock. And while that might be true statistically, what we can do on an individual basis to pause that clock or reverse it even, like I've seen women who have had their AMH go up a year after working together and AMH is an anti-mullerian hormone It's often used as a marker for how, for ovarian reserve, like how fertile are you, how many eggs and what quality are there? Um, or, you know, people that, like I mentioned earlier, they, they look younger, they, they feel better. They feel the best they've ever felt. And then they go into that IVF and then they get pregnant. So this is something that is, um, it's not going to show up in all the all the randomized controlled trials necessarily, but it is something qualitatively very important in how we go about um, how we go about our journey with fertility, but also journey to create anything like you and your husband were creating a mindset, a context, uh, like a stage that you want to live your life by, and not all the things that we want in life have to be so hard won.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that was uh, some good heavy-hitting stuff after Kara got a bit racy there, um, which <laughs> she, she can do sometime. Um, I feel like we could end it there, but I, Liz, I want, I want to give you a chance to, to do something that we do with all of our guests, which is to sort of give our listeners, like, one important takeaway. If there's, like, one thing that uh, you want people to uh, really, really hammer home from what we've talked about, what would that be and, and give us a little bit of... Uh, uh, of your insight about that? Hmm. I would
2: love people to know that they're not alone and, um, and that uh, they're enough, so that they're worthy of being in connection, even through struggle, that, they, that their struggle matters and that they're not the only one going through something like that, even though at times they may feel like they're 100% the only person. Uh, I think there's so much shame that comes through any time we want something and we haven't um, manifested or won't manifested it yet. And um, that, that shame further destroys our self-worth and our ability or initiative to reach out for help. Um, but there is so much conversation that's developed around fertility There's so much conversation developed around being female in a culture that still isn't equal for women and what we want and how we want to feel. And um, so I would encourage you to find one person or one avenue or one community where you feel seen and heard and safe and invest in that and see others and be seen because this alone is very healing and women especially learn to heal and grow in connection and in community with each other. And this can be transformative in how you experience your journey, whatever your goals may be.
0: Nice. Thank you so much, Liz. Ah,
2: thank you,
1: listeners. How do our listeners find and connect with all of the awesome stuff you're doing?
2: Oh, uh, the best way could be through my website, which is tworivershealth.ca. And if they are looking for individualized support on something that they're working on, whether it's fertility or health or leadership, then they can book an appointment and have a chat. Um, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, just search elizabeth.shiravati. And um, and we can connect
1: that way too. Liz, I often call naturopathic medicine a beautiful medicine, and I think our listeners listening to you today will, uh, you know, understand where that comes from because I love uh, just the the maturity and beauty in which you can merge you know, molecular mechanisms of fertility and, uh, you know, all of that cool nerdy science stuff, but just with the, like a really beautiful philosophical, uh, and feminine context surrounding it. So thank you so much for chatting to us today. Well,
2: thank you so much. I really appreciate our conversation. This was really fun. And, um, I hope that we can do it again soon.
1: For sure. All right, we will uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Liz. Thank Bye you. Please.
0: That Natural Pathic Podcast. <laughs> TNP. Hello
1: there.